For decades, America has struggled to combat the harms of drug use, but the harms have increased and the fight is endless because we've been wrong. What if we changed our drug policies to actually decrease the harms of drug use and increase thriving for all of us? Our criminal approach to drugs had a beginning and it will have an end. Join us on the journey to end it for good. Welcome back. I'm Christina Dent here with my co-host and producer, Mike Madison. Would you consider leaving a review on iTunes? If you just want to click the stars, that's totally great. But just a sentence or two of review feedback is so helpful for other people to decide if it's something that they want to listen to or not. I'm a big review person. I read reviews on everything. Um, And that can really help people, especially if they're trying to figure out, like, do I want to listen about something about drug policy? Um, Just a couple of sentences of feedback is great. Also, if you're in the Mississippi area and would be interested in coming to an in-person discussion, you can sign up for our email list at enditforgood.com. We also send out other things on that email list, but that's where our RSVP links uh, for in-person discussions um, go. So we've ramped up those discussions. We now host one in different parts of the state about every other week. Um, We'd love to have you come to one of those. So on to today's topic. We got a question recently from a listener who said, in one of your early episodes, you mentioned that a world with a legal drug market is the world you want your kids to grow up in. Why is that? What would that world actually look like so that it would be what you want for them? So, Mike, this is a great question, because even if people can see the harms that are being done by drug prohibition, none of us remember the world before it began. And it can be hard to catch a vision for what it could look like after it ends. Uh, So that's what we want to walk through today. All right. So to do that, I'm going to walk through each of the three major uh, components of drug prohibition and what they could look like when we legalize all drugs, what that does in society. Uh, You can kind of see a visual walkthrough of these three pieces um, through the TED talk that I did. I did a TEDx Jackson talk um, just a couple of months ago. You can find that on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and you can search my name, Christina Dent or War on Drugs, um, it's there. It's basically four years of my life condensed down into 18 minutes of <laughs> <laughs> the experiences and the research that changed my mind. But I walked through it doing the same three main components of the drug war. So the market, what happens to a market, what happens to the substance, and then what happens to uh, consumers. So we could do like 10 episodes on all the ways that ending drug prohibition would benefit society because there's so many of them. Um, but we're going to try to just stick to the main ways that changing that would change this, the market outcomes, the substance outcomes, and the consumer outcomes, and then tie that to, so how would that actually affect your life as you're going about your life? What's that actually going to look like? So Yeah, there's a lot of fear about that because, yeah. you know, immediately people who uh, haven't really thought deeply about the subject picture, just the streets, just chaos, and right. people sitting around doing drugs everywhere, which is, not, you know, not the case and has been shown not to be the case in countries right. that have tried it. but Right, yeah. So today we have the market. If we look at the market, what we've done is we've criminalized the market. So today the market is all characterized by violence. You can't take your problems to court to settle your dispute with your distributor, and so you take it out on the streets, and you've got all of this crime and violence because of that. I'll point out, too, you know, just a few days ago, uh, or was that two days ago, they had that situation in Philadelphia, I believe it was, where the guy uh, pinned the police down, shot six police officers. Um, he was involved in drugs. They were attempting to serve a drug warrant. He was heavily armed. He had been in, uh, and had arms charges before. And the reason that he was who he was, this guy that the police had to approach and why six 
the police officers were shot was because of the drug war, because he had become part of a gang and was a heavily armed guy. So this is, you know, that is the chaos. Those six police officers, uh, if it weren't for the war on drugs, would not have been in that situation. This guy would not have been a drug running gang member. He would not have been heavily armed. Mm-hmm. So that's a, I can I can just imagine my old self hearing you say that and thinking, no, no, no. What happened is they came to arrest somebody breaking the law. And right. what you're doing is you're saying, no, zoom out yeah. and see why was that interaction happening. And if you start reading news stories and you start looking through, why are all of these this crime happening? And if you if you go back up it, if you see the one little phrase in there that you just skipped over before. They were there serving a drug warrant. They were there on possession. Right. They were searching the house for paraphernalia. They were doing this. They stopped them, and they said they smelled marijuana in the car, and they got out, and now they've had this, you know, terrible interaction. The, the drug war is is often quietly because we've, we've gotten so numb to it. We don't even see those lines and those news stories anymore, but they're there. They're all over the place. And also, I mean, I, I've talked about this before. You see situations like this. I mean, you know, uh, police having to battle drug gangs in the street is commonplace. Uh, A lot of the problems in Chicago and Baltimore and stuff. You do not hear of liquor stores in shootouts with the police because they are Mm -hmm. selling. It is still a mind-altering substance, but it is legal. It is regulated, and these are business professional business owners. Um, you, You don't see beer distributors in shootouts with the police you don't see the police raiding a winery and in shootouts with the police and so that's to me a pretty stark comparison Mm -hmm. yeah so we we don't even realize i don't think we even have a concept of how much of the crime in our culture today is actually drug related um there's a lot of people who anecdotally will say 60 to 80 percent of all crime today is driven by drug prohibition so we don't talk about it as drug prohibition we just say drugs and we think oh gosh it's the drugs it's the substances that are creating all of this chaos it's not it's the it is the criminalization of those substances the underground market that's working that has created that. So if you go to Colorado and Washington, other states where it's legal now, I just happen to have been to both of those states uh, in recently, um, you know, you, you drive down the street and there's a marijuana dispensary. They're not people. There's still some underground market there. It's pretty heavily regulated. And when you regulate too tightly, right. the underground market yeah. stays, some, some form of it stays. Um, but the vast majority of the market there is now regulated. And you can just walk in, you can buy your marijuana, I've still never even gone in one. I just cannot yeah. get past my own, like, I just don't want any part of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I could just walk in there, and, and you're right. They're not shooting each other on the streets over yeah. whose corner this is. And there's one, one guy over here, yeah. and there's one guy over here, and the market is determining which one do the people want to buy from. They're right. both allowed to be there. They're hiring the people, people can, who are yeah, paying taxes yeah. on their salaries, and the one dispensary is not in a shootout with another dispensary. I mean, that's what a regulated marketplace ends up looking like. Right. And people enter the underground market because the draw of cash is there. So this isn't bad people who are just going to naturally always do or horrible things. If you actually listen to the stories of people that got caught up in drugs, a lot of them start with, well, I was a kid in a community where there wasn't a lot of economic opportunity, and I saw these guys. They always had money, and they're the ones with guns, and they had a roll of you know $100 bills in their pocket. What were they doing? They were selling drugs. They were not selling alcohol. There is not a lot of money to be made in the underground market of alcohol. Nobody wants to buy it from you on the street when they can just go to a regulated business and have the label and know exactly what they're buying. It exists, all of this crime exists because of the deregulation that's 
this market. So what would that look like? It would look like our communities having 60 to 80 percent less crime. Right. We can't even conceive of what that would be like. Let's say that's a high estimate. Let's just say it's 40 percent. Take it in half. Let's say only 40 percent. If you could come up with a policy that would decrease crime by 40 percent, I mean, yeah. the, the pe- people would celebrate in the streets over this. But we have so stigmatized what we hold on to related to drug prohibition that it's so hard for us to see so much of what we're fighting is actually creating the problems that we're fighting. Right. Oh, yeah, I see that, too, uh, even in the immigration issue. You know, what does every headline about human smuggling say from Mexico? It's the cartels. The cartels are in control of human smuggling across our border. They're terrorizing people. Mexico is, uh, had record homicides last year. They talk about uh, pol- uh, politicians being assassinated, uh, cartels shooting across the border at our border patrol. And the only reason these cartels are in place and have the tremendous resources and the power that they have in Mexico. All the weaponry. All all the the weaponry. Everything flows down to that because, and and again, I hate to keep, I don't hope this isn't repetitive. It's not the people at Jose Cuervo who are making tequila in Mexico and shipping it up to the United States uh, that are shooting politicians and doing human smuggling. It's not the people at the Corona factories. It's the cartels exploiting the black market and drugs. Mm -hmm. And that's where all that money's coming from. Even if you want to do terrible things, even if you want to assassinate politicians and shoot Border Patrol, you have to have the... The, the whole mechanism to do that, you have to have uh, money to buy all the machinery to do that, all the weaponry. you got to have all of those things. If we can zoom out to say, where is that all coming from? Yeah. It's, it is being funded by drug prohibition. Because the there's, a lots, there's a lot of money in alcohol. There's a lot of money in cigarettes. Yeah. But you don't see any of these companies arming themselves because they don't right. need to, because they yeah. don't have to fight an underground black market war. Right. So the way that that sales could look like, and we don't know for drugs like heroin and cocaine what that would look like. Well, um, we have a little bit of perspective because heroin and these things were legal prior were. to what you know, yeah. 1914. Yeah. 1914. Mm-hmm. So you had corner, you had a, a pharmacies that were mm-hmm. giving heroin for yeah. different diseases. So these things have already been out in the you know we right. have a different culture now, a different society, right. but we did see that to yeah. some degree. Yeah. So we had some at that time they really weren't regulated at all, and I would say well. Well, I think our addiction crisis as a, as a culture is so great now that maybe we need to have age restrictions on who can purchase what. Maybe they need to be dispensed through a pharmacy, uh, not with a prescription. I'm actually not an advocate of just switching it over to prescriptions. It makes puts the doctors in a very difficult position. It creates all of this incentive for um, people to have to pay to get to doctors to get to then they're trying to lie about why right. they really need it and but you can have something that's only sold through a pharmacy that you don't need a prescription for and what that could do is provide people with just a touch point of help as the pharmacist is handing them what they're purchasing over the counter they say you know what I can see in the system that you've been using a lot of this and I just want you to know there's help out there for you. I want you to know about all the resources in the community that are there for you. Um, we want to help you stop at whatever point you're able to stop or to decrease your dose. Let us know how we can help you. You have those touch points with help. Nobody on the street is giving you touch points with help. No, they want you buying more They want the you buying more of the product. Right. And, and that's how they make their money. So um, if you look at how medical marijuana is dispensed, it kind of combines the security of a jewelry store with the professionalism of a pharmacy. Yeah. So you have, you can't enter the store unless you have an ID, you're over 21. You can't take your kid in there with you. I mean, it's very, very controlled environment, um, but it's very professional. 
And that, that to me, when we have the choice of who do you want people being under the care of, do you want them to be able to go into somewhere like that, or do you want them to be on the street corner from people who are trying to uh, maybe hook them on the next thing? You know, right. oh, I'm out of marijuana today, but I've got this other thing. I'll give you free. I'll give you a free uh, dose today or whatever they call them. Or somebody who's trying to <laughs> no. take drugs and adulterate them with something else like right. fentanyl because right. they're trying to boost the potency to right. get more yield out of their stuff, but there's no regulation on it. So yeah. Right, which which leads us into our the second aspect. So we've got the, all this market harm. We could re-regulate that again and have these dispensary models or pharmacy models for all of these substances. So that then it's what happens to the substance. So what do you get when you re-regulate the substance? So Today we have really impure, really potent, mysterious, mysterious substances on the street. You never know what you're getting. It's some white powder in a bag, and it could be literally anything that anybody wants to put in there. Uh, and it's getting adulterated all down the way. Yeah. So even the person who's selling it to you probably has no idea what's actually in that bag. Right. They may have yeah. added a little extra something else, but the people before them added a little extra something. They don't have any idea what, what potency it is. So when you legalize, you get all of that back again. So you stop all of the fentanyl lacing, uh, and that's that's not going anywhere. That is a technological advancement of the underground market. Right. They figured out how to make fentanyl in a powdered form. We've had fentanyl for years. It's a wonderful pain reliever that cancer patients often use in, in patches. But the underground market saw, hey, we can get a lot more bang for our buck if we can create fentanyl something that potent in a really small package yeah. and so they made it into powder now fentanyl is shipped into the united states largely through the mail this is not a border issue and this it, is this is just coming through the mail and, and you only need a you know small packet to right so it's easier to smuggle yeah absolutely yeah yeah and it's super potent so what does that mean for my kids in a world with legal drugs it means there are not 202 people a day dying of drug overdoses the vast majority of them from uh, adulterated drugs. Some of them, we will still always have some overdoses. Some people, even if they're only using prescription medicine, are mixing it with other drugs. So they're having a drink and they're taking an opioid. And you, the cocktail effect of that is really dangerous. So some of that is people's choices of how they use the substances that they're getting, even if they're regulated. But a lot of that we're seeing today in the deaths is actually coming from the deregulation of those substances. So uh, I hope and we hope and are teaching our kids don't use these substances. But if they do, I want them to live in a world where the likelihood of their death from that is very low. And the likelihood of their ability to stay alive and to stop using and to get help if they become addicted is really high. That's the kind of world I want them to live in. Even if they never use those substances, that's the kind of community that I want them to live in. I don't want them to live in communities where people are dying left and right, people they went to high school with, people they were in college with, people that they worked with at their job, they're losing their children. That it, the, the level of community trauma that we are forcing on America today through drug prohibition is just unbelievable. And that has lifelong effects, children yeah. losing their parents, children losing a, an older brother or sister. Those are not isolated incidents that they just move on from. That deeply shapes their life. And we are creating a lot of these overdose deaths. Yeah. And the use of really high potent substances because when you, you know, if you're going to smuggle something, you're going to smuggle something that's really potent. You're not going to, you know, take the risk with something really low dose. Right. Um, and we would regain again the ability for people to just buy very low dose opioids instead of really potent stuff. 
Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I guess I'm getting a broken record. Nobody fears when they crack open a beer from the convenience store what's in it. Yeah. And nobody opens up a bottle of Jim Beam and questions, is this going to be the last drink I ever take? Because God knows what happened to this. No, it was sealed. It was professionally done. It's tested and it's regulated. And so right. they always know what they're getting. It still is abused from time to time. And, you know, that's kind of the biggest thing on this is that I think people sometimes – um, want the perfect solution. They want to know how you rid your world of all addiction and all this. And, and, you know, human beings are unpredictable and make bad decisions and it's messy. But we the, the problems that we have right now are so predictable and they're in excess of what we need to have. You know, right. these are these far are messier pro- than we can. Yes, do. yes, yeah. it really is. Yeah. So if we go to the third category and look at what happens to consumers. So today we've trade we have treated people who are using drugs as criminals. We're cycling them through the criminal justice system, cycling their children through the trauma of being separated from their parent through the criminal justice system, all of this uh, family and societal harm. Now they can't work, now they can't get student loans or grants because they have a drug uh, conviction on their, you know, arrest record. They've been through the trauma of jail. Uh, so in a legal market, we treat people as people. Yeah. If they're using drugs or not, we treat you as people. As long as you're not breaking other laws, hurting other people right. in other ways that you can't go steal somebody's stuff. Uh, but as long as you're not hurting other people, you are allowed to make that decision. Now, we're going to give you choice to access, just like we do with alcohol. And if you become a problematic user of that substance... We treat you as a patient, just like we do with alcohol. Now, if you start beating your wife, if you're drunk, well, we got other laws on that, and we're going to stop that. Yeah, assault Um, is always assault. Right, assault is always assault. It does not matter what kind of substance you did or did not ingest when you were assaulting somebody. Um, But that, when I think about a world with far less crime, far less overdose deaths, far less people cycling in and out of an extremely traumatic criminal justice system and the lack of stigma that comes with uh, somebody struggling with addiction. So addiction on its own can be so devastating. We're adding to that the stigma that families feel like they have to struggle through that alone. Yeah. Uh, And they can't say anything about it because what you're saying then is your family member is a criminal. That's what we've said right. as a culture. They are criminals. And a bad families, person. right, families know that. And they always want, that's the, the first thing they want to say about their loved one. They're not a bad person. And that always makes me sad when people feel like they have to say that because that's the narrative we've created through drug prohibition yeah. that they are bad people. Why would you put them in jail unless they're a bad person? The only people you put in jail, supposedly, we think, are bad people. So when you put somebody in jail for using substances, you've labeled them a bad person. And families are suffering under that stigma, and people are suffering under that because who wants to admit that they have struggled with an addiction in the past and get that scarlet letter on their, uh, you know, the way that people view them? If we can, you can't, you can only change that narrative so far as long as you're still loading people into prison. I mean, you can say, well, I know you're not a bad person, but I do think everybody else is. Like, yeah. <laughs> can you really come out from under that stigma? Right. And and the kind of ironic thing about it is if you look at, um, and we may have talked about it on the show before, if you look at the clearance rate of police uh, units and city police forces of 
really prosecuting the bad people, mm-hmm. getting the murderers and the assaulters, those clearance rates have gone down because the police activity is so uh, centered towards quick arrests and uh, plea deals and prosecutions of drug offenders. Mm-hmm. And so they're actually not getting the murderers. Jails aren't full of as many bad people as they should be. They're filled with too many good people who have made a mistake or fallen on, you know, uh, have, have taken a wrong turn somewhere. They're full of those kinds of people. There's a lot of people out there that are not being held accountable for the really violent, mm-hmm. cruel stuff in our society. Yeah. So if you think about, you know, if if your family had a family member who was murdered the idea that that person is not been found and there's not the resources to find them but we are spending resources rounding up people smoking marijuana right. and putting them in jail i think that should make people go what on earth are we spending our money on and i, I think partially think- so my my car was stolen when i was in college i was at a friend's house and came back out of their house, and my car was just gone. <laughs> this is wait, what? I mean, I never. I just think this happens to like other people. This doesn't happen right. to me. Um, so you know, my car is found a day or so later out on some random road somewhere. That's the end of that. There's nobody's. You know, I I was harmed. The car was was dented up. It was we sold it right after that. It was just, it was trashed. Um, you know, so. What do I want? Do I want somebody saying, hey, who on earth stole my car? Let's hold them accountable for that. Or do we want them saying, I don't have time to do that. We don't have the resources to do that. But we are out here rounding up someone who is addicted uh, and we're putting them in jail. Well, Well, And and also there are police departments now. This is widely known and, and actually for... The life of me, I can't figure out why they go public with this. But there are police departments that now are are upping. They say, if you steal under, it used to be like under two hundred and fifty dollars. We're not even going to investigate. I mean, they've essentially given up on anybody who steals two hundred. Those limits are going up now. It's like seven hundred and fifty. I can't remember the city where they basically said anything up to seven hundred and fifty dollars. We just won't even bother to investigate. Well, that's because they don't have the resources to wage the drug war and stop these thieves. So what happens in a society? Well, all the criminals or, or people who might not even considered being criminals go, oh, I got a free reign to go in and take up to seven hundred and fifty dollars worth of stuff. And, and, the, and police forces have had to do that because they don't have the resources to find the person that stole your car, to find the person that stole the VCR or, um, or smashed your window and grabbed your purse. They don't have time to do that. They're, yeah. they're dedicating all this time to this other thing. You're aging yourself, Mike. You said a VCR. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to age myself a second ago because when you said someone stole my car, I realized, you, you know, as I get older, there's more times I walk out of a store and think my car has been stolen because I forget where I park. <laughs> uh, no, that's so true. And the, the key piece of that is not that officers don't want to solve crimes in the community. There are literally just only so many resources right. to go around. You yeah. d- there's not infinite resources on this. So, But there are just about infinite people that are using drugs and selling drugs because if you take somebody off the street corner from selling, somebody else is in their place is an hour. Yeah. So you continue using, just dumping resources into the drug war. It doesn't do anything. And, and there's always more users. There's always more dealers. Meanwhile, uh, finding the one person who did the murder, the one person who committed rape, down in our region of the country in the southeast, I saw the FBI statistics recently, solving for violent crime, the average, it's different for different crimes, um, the average is about 50%. 
Have so you see, would you see a trend line on that to see that it's coming down? Because I know it has. No, I, this I was just the the, the, la- the latest year that yeah. there was uh, numbers for. But wouldn't we but, want our right, forces we want, to really focus right. on that? Yes. Yeah. Shouldn't that be close to like 100 before, even yeah. if you think we should be waging the drug war, wouldn't we want it to be about 100 on violent crime before we spend any resources right. on, on all of these other things? Yeah, go uh, out and get some drug people after you've closed all of your violent yeah. cases yeah. that are ter- yeah. terrorizing the community. Right. Yeah. So, and, and that's what we, I think we need to, to release our police to say, this is what we want you to do. And we are going to, we're going to stop asking you to also go and do this drug war. Because people are asking, you know, you got to get tough on drugs. We got to, these are destroying our communities. They're hearing that message from people. Um, people, I think, that don't understand what's actually happening and what's creating that harm. But well, you know, that, that's the interesting thing too. It's it's kind of approaching the problem from the opposite direction, which is for a lot of people, a lot of the law and order people who've never really contemplated drug war, they think if you just get all the drugs off the streets, then that solves the assaults and the, you know what I mean. It makes yeah, for a better yeah. society. The problem is we've been doing this hardcore for 60, 70 years, really the last 50 years, really hardcore. It just hasn't happened. I mean, we haven't put a dent in supply, a right. dent in any of this Not stuff. At all. We just put El Chapo in jail, and I just read an article last week about this violent war that is going on. His number two is taking over from his brother, and there's about to be a civil war and a bunch of murders down there. It, it, we haven't reached it yet. I mean, how many resources do the law and order people want to uh, expend to try to clean up every street of all of the drugs. It's We haven't even put a dent in it after a, over a trillion dollars spent on the drug war. It seems at some point we think, okay, really, really tried this. It's time to look at some alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you don't want what I want, which is I care about it because I care about people. Even, right. if you, even if you just care about what we spend our money on and is it actually making our society better, right. um, you know, you can not care about the harm being done to anybody and still think my life would be better if we stopped doing this. So now when I read anything that touches anything related to drugs, you know, headlines, news stories, anything like that, I'm always asking this question, and I'm going to encourage listeners, ask this question. Is this a drug harm from the substance itself, or is this a harm from drug prohibition, from criminalizing it? And what you will begin to find is that this whole host of stories, all touching very a broad range of different topics, if you start to actually think through, why did that happen? You, 95% of the time, are coming back to, that happened because of drug prohibition. Why did that person die of a fentanyl overdose? Drug prohibition allowed fentanyl to be in the substance that they were using. Why did this person get caught, an innocent person, in a drive-by shooting? Well, because that person was angry with the other dealer that was in the house because he sold, you know, we did one of his customers, or, you know, whatever right. it is. Um, so if we start to think about that, you start to realize the world is actually, it is telling you the story of drug prohibition. We just have to um, actually notice that's the story that we're hearing. It's not the story of drugs. It's the story of drug prohibition that's causing yeah. All of these awful things. So as we wrap up, I want to remind, um, uh, sorry, I want to read a letter from a listener named Liz because it helps illustrate the perpetuated harms just in one person's life from approaching drugs uh, criminally. So Liz says, my addiction story is pretty boring, not wrought with tragedy. I wasn't abused. I didn't suffer any emotional health issues. I was 11 years old. I was a new kid in town. I was overweight from a wealthy family. I wanted people to like me, so I paid for my popularity with drugs, lots of drugs. By 13, I was a junkie. I knew full well the dangers of drugs and the consequences of them because my father was a criminal defense attorney. But no 13-year-old has any business on meth. At 23, my boyfriend stole a purse and forged a check in it to my 
and I forged a check in it to myself for $80 and cashed it at a gas station. Again, I was well aware of the consequences of me breaking this law and that I would, that I would eventually be caught and sent to prison and lose my civil rights permanently. I knew how hard it was to get a job or credit or volunteer with kids or anything as a convicted felon. I knew all that, and I was accountable for it. But what I did not know was at 33, I would no longer be in addiction, that I would have a family and good friends, and I would love being part of society. I didn't know that the day would come when I would want more in life than just a fix, that I would want stability, a nice 9-to-5 job with benefits, weekends with my kids to coach t-ball and afford gymnastics, church mission trips that I would need a passport for, to buy a home where I don't share room with my girls. Yet here I am. I apply for three to seven jobs a day, and I get three to seven replies that, quote, while my resume is impressive, I will not be able to meet the criteria for employment because of my inability to pass a background check. I don't have a problem with accountability. I thrive on it, in fact. It keeps me sober. It allows me to be a good mom, and it's how I am able to help others. I have a problem with the expectation that the, that the decisions I made about the life I thought I wanted at 23 takes precedence over the decisions about the life I want at 33. When will we allow people to be better, not for themselves or their loved ones, but for society as a whole? So that's Liz's story. So when I think about the world that I want my kids and grandkids uh, to live in, I want a world where the drugs she got into at 13 were behind a counter where she needed an ID instead of on the street corner where she didn't. I want a world where the door to sobriety was always open to her, and the minute she was ready to walk through it, the fewest barriers possible were in her way. But that is not how we approach it. In Mississippi, I heard recently that one in 13 adults has a felony on their record. That's unbelievable. And that's what Liz is struggling through. And one in 13 adults are struggling through that even though she served her time, even though she's done the hard work to enter long-term sobriety, we've still got this ball and chain around her ankle from approaching um, those addiction-related issues uh, through the lens of the criminal justice system. Now, whether or not you think she deserves what she got, it doesn't actually help anyone for her to continue to have um, this holding back of her being able to provide for her family. And that's what I think we need to see, that if our laws aren't helping us, then we need to change them. And that's the work that we think is before us, to change our laws, to regulate the drug market again, and to begin to heal the harms that we've done through the drug war. So how do we end our criminal approach to drugs? By changing one mind at a time. Many people are only willing to have this conversation when they are invited to by someone they trust. That's you. Invite your friends, family, and people in your circle of influence to consider a better way. At End It For Good, our hope is that people who hear will become people who tell. Join the movement to end it for good.